Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Did you know that according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the United States come from outside the country? And there are all kinds of problems with that. For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Beth Terry of My Plastic Free Life to talk about her experience living and gardening without plastic. After learning about the devastating effects of plastic pollution on the environment and human health, Beth began to experiment to see if she could live without buying any new plastic. Since then, she has reduced her plastic waste to less than 2% of the national average. That experiment turned into her popular blog, MyPlasticFreeLife.com, and her book, Plastic Free, How I Kicked the Plastic Habit and How You Can Too. A founding member of the Plastic Pollution Coalition, Terry gives presentations on plastic-free living and why our personal actions really do make a difference. Her work and life have been profiled in the award-winning film Bag It, as well as two books, Susan Frankel's Plastic, A Toxic Love Story, and Campta Charles Moore's Plastic Ocean. Welcome to the show today, Beth. Hi, thanks for having me. And thank you for being here. 
So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Yeah. You know, I start, this started in 2007. So it's um, coming up on nine years that I've been trying to live without acquiring any new plastic. Wow. Um, back in 2007, I, I, had, I stumbled across an article on the internet about plastic pollution in the ocean, but it wasn't just that issue. It was a photo that I saw of a dead albatross chick mm. filled with plastic because what I learned was that the mother birds were flying out across the ocean to gather food for their babies uh -huh. and they were mistaking plastic for food and bringing it back to oh. them and feeding it to them. Yeah. And there's actually a video online that you can watch of a mother bird trying to feed a toothbrush to a baby and it's it's just utterly heartbreaking. Mm. And when I, I, ha I had no idea that plastic pollution was even a problem. I mean, I had a, some kind of idea that you shouldn't microwave in plastic, uh -huh. but that was about it. And when I saw that picture, it was the first time that I actually made a connection between my personal actions and choices mm -hmm. and other creatures on the planet. Wow. And then as I continued to read that article, I learned about chemicals and plastics that can leach out and poison us. And, you know, we as human beings are not so different from animals that eat plastic because we're ingesting the chemicals from plastics. Right. So I just, all at that time, all I really wanted to do was just see if it was possible to live without acquiring any new plastic. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I thought maybe I would do it for a few weeks as an experiment and just see what happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, a few weeks turns into nine years. Nine years later. Wow. And a book and a website and, all, and traveling and all this. It's unbelievable. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm an accountant. That's what I do for a living. Wow. I'm not a professional activist or organizer or anything like that but this is just something that got inside me and I couldn't I couldn't not do something about it once yeah. I knew the truth mm -hmm. about what we're doing regarding plastic in this world so I just keep plugging along yeah well and it's really magical how you've turned just being an accountant and I don't mean that lightly but <laughs> just being an accountant to changing the world yeah you know everything that we have every skill that we have is useful in some way in in the in the important work that we do yeah. in the world and so for me like one of the things that I decided to do was to collect my plastic and examine it my plastic waste oh, and wow. try to figure out you know what things I was using that I could substitute for something else mm -hmm. and I looked at it very methodically and analytically as an accountant would and I even made a spreadsheet and I would graph everything on an Excel spreadsheet. Wow. And then when I do research about plastic, even though that's not my background, mm -hmm. I'm very analytical about the studies I read and the articles that I read. I'm very skeptical because there's a lot of misinformation out there and sort of sensationalistic um, articles and um, in the media yeah. about plastic and I just want to get to the truth and I just want to let people know what's, what, what's actually true and not sensationalize it because you know what it's bad enough without sensationalizing it yeah no kidding so why is this so important to you I mean I can hear, hear the passion in your, in your voice <laughs> I think part of it has to do with 
the uh, love of justice mm. and plastic and toxic chemicals in the environment harm us all, but especially the most vulnerable oh, among yes. us. And the most vulnerable are babies, um, animals, mm -hmm. people who live in impoverished communities, people who don't, who can't necessarily um, always speak up or have a voice. And that's just not fair. I just feel like it's not fair. Yeah. And I think that's the main feeling that drives me. Yeah. So what was the most challenging thing in this process? Well, I don't think I've explained it this way before, or even necessarily realized it until recently, but I'm a natural introvert. Mm -hmm. It's very, very challenging to, for me to speak up, uh -huh. you know, to, to go into a store or a restaurant and ask for people to put food in my own containers instead of plastic or styrofoam right. or two, you know, it's, it's not that I'm shy. It just requires a lot of energy for me to mm -hmm. speak up and talk to strangers. And I mean, I travel and give talks all the time now. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> by the way, I'm proud of you for doing that. <laughs> you know, I would much rather be binge watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You, you and my love Heidi do that. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, this is, this is, I just feel like it's a calling and, yeah. and I have to do it. So that, that's probably been the biggest challenge for me yeah. in terms of replacing plastic items. Uh -huh. One of the hardest things for me initially was cheese because I oh, love to eat cheese yes. and cheese comes wrapped in plastic. And in the beginning I was still buying cheese wrapped in plastic because I wasn't ready to give it up. And you know what, that's one thing that I want to point out too, is that I don't think that it's helpful in general for people to try to do everything all at once. Oh, yes. I feel like that's a recipe for feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. and giving up. And I wanted to be practical about it. And I, I wanted to take steps that I thought could be sustainable in the long term. Right. So that's why I went step by step and replace things as I use them up and, you know, Within the first six months, my plastic waste was crazy. I have a picture I'll send you. Okay, good. And, you know, now it fits in one regular-sized grocery bag, a year's worth. A year's worth of plastic in one yeah. grocery bag. Yeah, and that's both the recyclable and the non-recyclable plastic. Wow. Yeah. But, it, but you know, I mean, I've been doing this for nine years. And yeah, it takes, exactly. You know, it's step by step. So, cheese. Yeah. I love so, cheese. What did you do? Well, fortunately, I was able to find a wheel of cheese locally. I live in Oakland, California, uh -huh. and I found a local cheese that comes in a wheel that's not wrapped in plastic. Mm. The, the dairy doesn't wrap it in plastic. Mm -hmm. And if you buy the whole wheel, then the store hasn't wrapped it in plastic either because, you know, they'll, they'll cut it. Oh, yeah. It. Cut it and wrap it in plastic. So that's what I do, and it lasts a long time. And I have found ways to to store it in the refrigerator or even the freezer so mm -hmm. that it doesn't mold. Yep. You know, some of it I will grate and put in glass jars in the freezer. Yep. Glass jars work great in the freezer, by oh, the way. Oh, yes, they do. People think that they break, but not, not if you do it right. 
And then the rest of it, I will wrap in a towel and keep it in an airtight stainless steel container in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And it's great. I don't have as many choices of cheese Mm -hmm. because, you know, so many different cheeses do come wrapped in plastic, but that's fine with me. I don't really need to eat that much cheese anyway. (laughs) That's true. true. So (laughs) what tips do you have for people who want to reduce or eliminate the plastic use in their gardens? Well... Back in 2011, I started a project in conjunction with um, Rodale's Organic Gardening. Oh, nice. To try to grow a garden in my front yard. I, you know, I live in an urban area. Right. Um, without using any plastic. And so I kind of consulted with them on the gardening part because I didn't have any idea what I was doing. Right. And I, but I was kind of on my own trying to figure out the plastic free part. And so the first thing I did was I realized that my, the soil in my front yard was not great. So I needed to order organic soil, um, soil. Yeah. and you know, comes in plastic bags. But I found out that if I ordered it in bulk, mm-hmm. a truck would come and bring it and just dump it into my yard without yep. any plastic. So yep. that's what I did. Unfortunately, they couldn't actually get it in my yard, so they dumped it on the sidewalk. <laughs> and it was early in the morning before I had to go to work, so I had to shovel the dirt into a wheelbarrow and wheel it into my yard uh-huh. before I could leave for work that morning. <laughs> <laughs> so that <laughs> so that people could walk down the sidewalk. sidewalk but yeah. that was funny. And I built before that. I built a raised bed with boards, and I put cardboard down, you know, instead right. of that black plastic that a lot of times people use. Yep. And then built the raised bed and put the soil in there, and it was great. Mm-hmm. So that was my f- the first plastic challenge that was averted. Uh-huh. And then I also used I got a bale of straw, and um, I think there might have been some plastic, you know the. What do you call it? The ties the tie, that go around the tie it. The yeah. that goes around it. Yeah. But not very much. So then there's actually acquiring plants. Because I know, you know, with the nursery, the mm-hmm. plants come in plastic. What do you do mm-hmm. about that? Well, most of the things that I grew, I grew from seeds. So, ah. and, you know, most seeds come in paper yep. packets. Yep, I do. Although recently I have discovered that some companies are switching to plastic packets and I avoid those. Mm-hmm. I saw at the store, I saw some seed starter pots that were made out of some kind of pulp, paper pulp. Yep. Um, but actually, instead of that, I just used toilet paper rolls. Oh, of course. cut them and put them, I put the toilet paper roll in the soil, you know, right in the raised bed. And then mm-hmm. I put the seed in there and put a little water in there and things really started growing. It was so fun. Because nice. um, I started it late enough that I didn't need to, I didn't have to start them inside. And also because I live in Oakland, it never gets really that cold here. Right. You know, otherwise I would have had to start them inside the house. Right. And then another thing I discovered was that, you know, there are some plants that are sold at our local farmer's market. They do come in plastic pots, but when you buy from somebody that you know, and this goes for other things too, buying yeah. produce, et cetera, you, you can often buy the thing in the plastic and then just give the plastic container back to the vendor for them to reuse so they it. can reuse yep. it. And the woman at the farmer's market was happy to have the plant pots back so she could reuse them. Oh yeah. So that's, you know, basically what I did to get the plants without plastic. Yeah. Perfect. So that's um, several things that you did to 
deplastic your garden. Then it came to watering. Oh, yes. And that was a challenge because, you know, hoses are made from plastic and mm-hmm. many of them are made from PVC, which is a particularly toxic plastic. It, some hoses can leach lead. Some hoses can leach hormone disrupting phthalates. Oh, my gosh. My garden was small enough that I could just use a watering can. Uh-huh. And that was fine. In a, If I had a bigger garden, I think I would try to find a hose that was made from um, a less toxic type of plastic uh-huh. material, which does exist. Yeah. There's a there's a hose that I discovered that's made from recycled polyurethane, and, oh, which is supposedly safer than plastic, uh-huh. and it's drinking water safe. So oh. I, I feel like if I'm going to water my plants, plants that I'm going to eat, you know, I'd rather use a drinking water safe hose yeah. than a hose that's going to leach chemicals. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's talk about your book, Plastic okay. Free, How I Kicked the Plastic Habit and How You Can Too. Tell us about okay. your book. Well, gosh, I never thought that I was going to end up writing a book about <laughs> this. Well, like I said, I didn't even think I was going to do it for a year. Yeah. But I was blogging. Mostly I created a blog so that I could track my progress and so that I could share with other people the plastic-free solutions that I found. And after a year or two of doing that, I realized that I had so much information, but it wasn't all that well organized. Because, you know, you just write a blog in the order that things come to you that you think of them. Exactly. I thought, what I really want to create is a guidebook, the guidebook that I wish had existed when I was first starting this, something that could help people. Because what I realized was, and people ask me all the time, doesn't this take forever? Doesn't this just make your life a lot harder because you have to figure out all these things. And it's true that the most time, the hardest part was doing the research to Mm -hmm. figure out what the alternatives were. Right. Once I knew what the alternatives were, I just made, they just became a habit. Yeah. You know, I don't even think about it anymore. I just live this way automatically, Mm -hmm. but it was getting started. So I wanted to create a guidebook that people could use to get started and also that they could use at their own pace and take steps that felt right to them, you know, not not necessarily having to go all the way all at once. Yeah. And I repeat that all the way through the book and I say, don't read this book all at once. And I see reviews on Amazon where people say, she said we shouldn't read this all at once, but I did. And I'm sorry that I did. She was <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I feel I feel overwhelmed, but it's my own fault because I read the whole thing all yeah. at once. Yeah, when I tell you know I tell people about you know starting your urban farm and, and the work that we do, you you pick one thing and mm-hmm. do it and get good and get successful at it, and that pulls you into the next thing, right? Rather than picking exactly. fifteen things and you know getting discouraged, right? Exactly. I mean, one of the best things for me was collecting my plastic and looking at it uh-huh. and figuring out what one or two things I could substitute out this mm. week and then making that a habit and then what are the next things I can substitute out and making that a habit. And I probably did do it faster than the average person would do it because I tend to get a little obsessed sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm interested in something. Yeah. But you know, I think that's important to do things at your pace and not to beat yourself up. Not to let yourself off the hook. Right. But also not to beat yourself up and think, oh, this is too hard. I'm just not going to try at all. Yeah. 
anyway, so the book, you know, pulls some information from my blog that was already written, but then I also had to fill in with interviews with experts and I have all kinds of information in there about the chemicals in plastics, the different kinds of compostable plastics and Uh biodegradable and what those mean. And I also, in the latest updated edition, which came out last year, it has an introduction by the musician Jack Johnson, which was very exciting. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, that was so cool. He He's a really big plastic-free advocate. Wow. And he has an organization in Hawaii that yep. has a plastic-free Hawaii campaign. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then in the back, it has an added chapter on plastic-free activists and people around the world because I've met so many people trying to do this everywhere Yeah, on every continent. So what's give, give me an idea of the chapters in your book. Like what, what process do you take us through in your book? That was the hardest part, was figuring out the order of uh-huh. how to organize all this information. But basically, it starts out with an introduction. You know, it talks about my story and why I decided to, to do this in the first place. And then it goes on to talk about the um, the problems with plastic. I wanted to get that out of the way first. Yeah. Because I wanted the book to be primarily focused on solutions, not just negative, um, bad news. Yeah, exactly. And so the so first chapter gets the bad news out of the way. It talks about the environmental problems with plastic from litter and ocean pollution and chemicals in the air to the most recent studies on the chemicals and plastics and how to avoid those. So I get that out of the way. And then there's a chapter about plastic bags, not just about what plastic bags do to the environment, but how to choose the right kind of reusable bag because mm. not all reusable bags are created equal. Yep. Um, there's a chapter on on bottled water and then all kinds of solutions on reusable bottles, reusable containers, different kinds of water bottle filling machines that companies are making and to make wow. it easier for people to refill their bottles. Uh-huh. Then there's a chapter on recycling and why recycling is important but is not the solution to the plastic problem. Yep. And it talks about the realities of recycling. And then I go all through the grocery store, how to shop plastic-free for groceries, how to um, get takeout food and reducing plastic in in restaurants and when you're away from home. And then it goes into um, personal care products, household cleaning products. It goes into durable plastics and how to avoid new plastic when you actually need something that's going to last a long time. I mean, obviously, I use plastic because I'm using a computer and I'm talking to you on this awesome headset. Right. But this headset, I actually got this for another Skype interview and I didn't want to buy new plastic. So I found a guy on Craigslist that was selling his. And it's the most amazing headset I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) So buying secondhand is one of the one of the. Um, options. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you. Give me the top three things to do around. It's just easy, and that's one of them. Buying secondhand. Yeah. Well, one of the things is just asking yourself: Is this something that I really need, or that I actually even really want in the first place? And mm-hmm. just considering, just taking a minute to breathe before we buy things, because I think a lot of times it's easy to just buy things automatically. Yeah. You know. This year in particular, I decided to do a buy nothing new challenge. Unfortunately, I've already broken that because <laughs> I ended up having to buy a new washing machine. Oh. 
<laughs> and after much consideration, and I did consider buying one secondhand, we ended up getting getting one that we think will last a, a very long, long time, time. Yeah. and that was made in the United States. So I feel pretty good about that. Well, and that's the other thing. Buy things that last a long time. Yes, absolutely. There's, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term planned obsolescence. Oh, yes. And it's, you know, it's something that we who use technology do have to deal with because mm-hmm. companies are companies make devices that will break down after a while, but not only just break down, they won't actually work after a while because the software, right. they can't run the software anymore. And that's why your cell phone starts to slow down and mm-hmm. not work that great after a while on computer. Um, but still, there are ways to hold off. You know, we don't have to have the most, the latest upgrade as soon as it comes out. There are ways that we can make our devices last longer. And there are campaigns we can get involved in as well to hold producers responsible. Yeah. So what large-scale measures do you think should be taken to reduce our plastic use as a society? Yeah. Well... As I just mentioned, we do need to hold producers responsible. In other countries like Germany, um, manufacturers have to pay into a system. They're responsible for creating products that can be recycled. Mm -hmm. They have to design things that are easy to recycle and ensure that they do get recycled. Here, companies just say, oh, it's recyclable, but they don't tell you how or where. And if, if it's not accepted in your curbside recycling, then chances are it's not going to get recycled and therefore practically it isn't recyclable. Yeah. Well, and do you know how much of that stuff that actually goes in the recycle bin actually gets recycled? A very small percentage. Yeah. Extremely small percentage. The most recyclable plastics are number ones and number twos. But even that, the majority of plastic from the United States gets shipped to China or other countries in Asia. Mm-hmm. And what happens in those countries is often not pretty and not very environmentally friendly. There was an expose done on a town in China that had basically become a toxic waste dump for plastic recycling from the West. And the the air was completely polluted. The water was polluted. They were melting down plastic and the fumes were just going right into the air and mm-hmm. to people's noses and children were crawling through piles of plastic and it was just terrible. That's what when it really hit me that we've just got to reduce the amount of this stuff that we're using in the first place and not just count on recycling yeah. as the answer. I give a lecture out in the world and I do this three or four times a year and I purposely name it this way to get people a little enraged. Uh-huh. And, the, and it, the title of the lecture is why we need to stop recycling. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It I gets really people going. That. Yeah. It gets people yeah. going. It's like, what do you mean we need to stop recycling? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't think we need to really stop recycling, but it is last on the list, right? Right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, yeah. There was a, there was actually a, another review of my book on Amazon where somebody said, it's just a book about recycling. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, you didn't read this. Yeah. Because if you read it, you would know that recycling is the the last of the R's when you talk about reduce and reuse and refuse and all that. Recycle yeah. is at the very end. Yeah. So yeah, so we need we need legislation to hold producers responsible for the full life cycle of the products that they produce. Yeah. And we also need legislation to hold companies responsible for making products that are non toxic. Yeah. One of the biggest problems with plastic 
is not the chemicals that we know about, but the chemicals that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. So for example, you can look at a container that's labeled as BPA free, but that doesn't mean that that plastic container is safe or non-toxic. It just means it doesn't have BPA in it. Right. And what they replace the BPA with is often oh. just as hormone disrupting mm. as the BPA was, sometimes even worse. And there are thousands of different additives that can be put in different plastics to affect the qualities of the plastic itself. The number on the container doesn't tell you anything about what's been added to what's that plastic. It? Yeah. So right now, there is legislation in Congress to update TOSCA, the Toxic Substances Control Act, which was written in 1976. Oh my gosh. That's ancient. This, this law grandfathered in tens of thousands of chemicals that had never been tested for safety. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't give the government the ability to regulate new chemicals. They haven't even been able to ban asbestos under this act. Yeah. So environmental, uh, environmentalists have been pushing for years to get toxic chemical reform. And what is being passed right now is a compromise, of course. Not surprising in our government. Yeah. yeah. It has some things in it that are better, but we, we need legislation that ensures that chemicals are tested for safety before they go on the market and that we're not being used as guinea pigs. Those are the, yeah, those are some big things that need to happen. And we really need to all stand up and say, you know what? This needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, our personal choices are important, big too. Time. And, big time. you know, there have been stories that I've read in the media of people saying your consumer choices don't make any difference. You're focusing on the on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. We need systemic changes, not you choosing something without plastic at the grocery store. Right. And yes, we do need those bigger systemic changes that I was talking about, but our personal actions empower us. You know, first of all, when you start getting the plastic out of your life, you start noticing how much there is. Oh yeah. You know, before that, it's just invisible. Yep. You start noticing it. You start realizing that there are alternatives out there and that they are being produced by companies that are trying to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these companies are not ones, these are not brands that you would find on the shelf in Safeway or at Walgreens. Yeah. You know, they're things that you have to sometimes order online. And then you also learn that there are things that you can make yourself at home, which oh, is yeah. so much fun. <laughs> You know, I mean, I've had just a blast figuring out creative solutions to plastics in my life. And I've tried making pita bread, which did not turn out so well. Uh -huh. It actually ended up more like a hard Frisbee and I didn't do it again. But I also made, but I also tried to make my own chocolate syrup instead of the chocolate syrup in the plastic squeeze bottle. Right. And that turned out great. And I make it regularly for mm -hmm. us. I tried to do an experiment to make liquid soap out of solid soap, and I have this story in my book and on my blog, and it was just an absolute disaster because <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Uh -huh. But then I figured out that there was a passable liquid soap that I could make out of solid soap. And I also learned that I don't really need liquid soap. Like, I don't even think liquid soap existed when I was growing up. It didn't. <laughs> you know, just like bottled water didn't exist yes, when yep. I was growing up. That's right. And we didn't perish. Right. 
Yeah, we're still all breathing, and we didn't have plastic bottled water when we were... Yeah, we're not all walking around completely dehydrated because we didn't have bottled water when we were growing up. Yeah. So there, there, there are really fun things that you can do that leave you feeling empowered, uh-huh. you know, because I think that was the main thing in 2007 for me. I had seen the movie in Inconvenient Truth, uh-huh. and that movie left me feeling like I didn't have, I, there was nothing I could do. Yeah. yeah that we were just doomed and changing light bulbs was a very unsatisfactory solution <laughs> to this yeah. huge problem. But when I discovered the pl- problem with plastic, it's so physical and tangible and I have so much control over the choices that I make in that arena. Mm-hmm. I just felt like this is something that I can tackle. Yeah. You know, these are choices that I can make that, that will make some difference. Perfect. So what do you consider your biggest success? Can I have two? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So one of the biggest successes was that in 2008, which was less than a year after I started trying to reduce my plastic consumption, it came time to change my Brita water filter cartridge. Oh, yeah. It must have been... Actually, I think it might have been at the end of 2007. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it and I saw this hunk of plastic and I thought, well, I should be able to recycle this some way. So I went online to the Brita website and I tried to figure out how to recycle it. And there wasn't anything about recycling. Mm -hmm. And I was Googling and I discovered that that water filter cartridges could be recycled in Europe, but not in the United States. Because in the U.S., the Clorox company had bought Brita. And Clorox had not, surprisingly, created a way to recycle the cartridges. <laughs> and this is not plastic that you can just toss in your recycle bin. Uh-huh. It's not something that will be recycled if you put it in your recycle bin. So I thought, well, if they can do it in Europe, why can't they do it here? So I wrote a letter to Brita slash Clorox, and, they, and I got a letter back saying, well, in the United States, we don't do it because we don't have the infrastructure to recycle cartridges. Mm -hmm. And I, what I learned was that in Europe, Brita had created the infrastructure, you know, because this is what I was talking about before. They were required to, to take responsibility for the full life cycle of their products in Germany. And Brita is, was a German company, but in the United States, since we don't require it, nobody does it. Right. So I thought, well, if they could do it over there, they can do it here. And they just need to know that their customers want this. So I started a little campaign. I asked people, you know, I used my blog and I asked people who was interested. And I also Googled and I, I was looking at my Google stats mm-hmm. and I noticed that people were reaching my website by typing into the search engine, how to recycle Brita cartridges. No way. Yes, and they were finding my article about the Brita cartridges. And and oh my so gosh, I thought that just gave me chills. There's all these people that want to know how to do this. We just need to gather them all together. Uh-huh. And to show Brita. And so so that's what we did. A bunch of us created a website called Take Back the Filter and we created a petition. <laughs> And I also, I opened a P.O. box Uh and asked people to mail me their used Brita cartridges because 
Clorox is right down the street from me in Oakland. Oh, nice. And so I had this vision of collecting all these Brita filters and and making a demonstration and bringing them down to Clorox and saying, here, recycle your filters and doing this whole thing. Mm -hmm. I'd never done anything like this before in my life. And it got media attention. I reached out to all the other bloggers that I knew and I mm -hmm. reached out to environmental organizations that I was a part of and they would promote it to their members. And when I first talked to the folks at Brita, they said they had done focus groups and they didn't feel that their customers cared enough. And <laughs> by, towards the That's end of funny. the campaign in 2008, when people would write letters to the CEO they would start getting letters back from him saying, we're working on this issue with a personal signature, personally signed oh, by him. Wow. So they were taking it very seriously. And then in less than a year, in November of 2008, I was at the Green Festival in San Francisco and I got a call on my cell phone and it was the brand manager of Brita. And he said, I just wanted you to know that we have developed a way to recycle the filters and we have partnered with a company called Preserve, which makes recycled toothbrushes out of yogurt cups. Yep. He said it's the same kind of plastic, and so they are going to take them. They're going to recycle them. They're also going to recycle the carbon on the inside. And people can take their filters either back to a participating Whole Foods or they can mail them. There's an, an email address where they can – not an yeah. email address. There's a you know physical address, yeah. Physical address where they can mail them. And the funny thing is that by then, I had had my water tested and realized that I actually didn't even need a water filter, so I wasn't <laughs> even. <laughs> but you got, but you got it done. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you know yeah. Larry Santoyo? He's a permaculture teacher in the LA area. Uh huh. Uh, he talks about going out in the world every day and doing epic shit. <laughs> and he talks about he talks about it that way. And I I dub you the person that did some epic shit around getting those getting those recycled congratulations I, I i have to tell you as you were telling me that story and you told me how the phone rang and yeah. it was them calling i was in t it brought me to tears because uh, that's the kind of stuff that we have to do in the world to create change yeah definitely wow. i mean i you know i had no idea what i was doing uh -huh. and i I was getting tired of doing it, but oh, yeah. every time I would think about stopping, I'd be like, no, you can't. You have all these organizations that have backed you up. You you can't let everybody down. Yeah. You just can't. And then when that happened, I was I was just I was I was amazed and it was it was just perfect. And then in January of two thousand nine we had a little press conference at the Oakland Whole Foods and I brought all the Brita filters. We got over 600 Brita filters from people oh all over gosh. the United States and Canada and Hawaii uh -huh. and Alaska and they would write little messages to Brita on the filter saying, recycle me or I came all the way from Alaska. Wow. <laughs> um, and that day, I, that day of the, of the press conference, I was so sick. I was sick as a dog oh. with the flu. And I just kept telling myself, remember this. You have to remember this. Yeah. It was amazing. So you asked yeah. me, when I asked for your biggest success, you asked me yeah. if you could have two. That was that yeah. was one. That yeah. was dang epic. What's that was epic. But the thing that was that's even way more epic is just that this book is out in the world. Yeah. Because this book was the hardest, actually the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. 
I'm a really slow writer and a really bad procrastinator <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to writing. I was uh -huh. actually an English major in college. Oh my gosh! So that kind of made it worse, you know, because I had all these expectations for myself. And writing this book was so much work and just so much time and so much mental energy yeah. that when it was finished, I just cried. I just cried and cried. Wow. And and then. A couple years later, my publisher contacted me and said, would you ask me if I would like to do an updated edition? And my first reaction was, yes, I would love to because <laughs> everyone wants a do-over, right? Yeah. I mean, the first one was good, but I thought I could make this so much better. And then I had to go through that whole emotional process, process yeah. once again. So anyway, that's that's the thing I think that I'm the most proud of because it's out there it's not just, it's not about me, right. you know, it's out there in the world doing its thing and yeah. being passed along from person to person. Yeah. And it's in countries around the world. And people email me every day and said, I read your book and I'm so inspired and, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to get, um, styrofoam trays out of my kid's school mm -hmm. or I'm going to, one woman emailed me and she said, we've started a store in our community um, where people can come and buy foods in bulk without packaging because of your book. Wow. And, and, and I was just, I was like, this, oh. this, this is it. Cause oh. I could die tomorrow yeah. and this book would still be out there um, inspiring people. I have to, I have to tell you your first story of success. Yeah. When you said, well, this is even better. Yeah. On your second story, it's like, hold on, hold on. How can the second one be better than the first? <laughs> and when you were sharing about that, that's why, that's a big reason why I do what I do. Yeah. Is the input that I get from people saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Because right. we, we know we've touched somebody's lives. Exactly. And it's so cool. It, yeah. So yeah. what drives you? Well, what drives me is like I was saying before about the sense of justice yeah. and the need to speak up, mm -hmm. just the need to speak up. And, you know, I was raised in the LDS church, which is the Mormons. Yeah. And I'm not a Mormon any longer, but that was something that was instilled in me from a very young age that you speak up for what you feel is right. Mm hmm and I can't help doing that. I do it in spite of myself, in spite of being this introvert that just wants to stay in and stay binge in, watch yep. Netflix or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there one book that has been significantly influential for you in this process? Yeah, the book and the web, it was a website first and then a book and then a movie oh. um, that inspired me to get started in the first place was No Impact Man. Oh my gosh, of course. And so I, I heard Colin Bevan, the author of No Impact yep. Man, on the on NPR, and he that was what got me researching on the internet, you know, environmental issues and green living and yep. stuff like that. Yep. His book is amazing. His following his website was amazing, and then there's a movie that you can watch. Yep. He his experiment was to try to live without any environmental impact for a year. Yeah. And my tactic was different because I didn't want to just do something for a year. I wanted to figure out sustainable practices that I could that I could use in my life going forward and not not that 
but but I think what he did was just amazing. Yeah. You know, because he wanted to see just how far a, a person could actually go. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Take time take time to breathe. Mm. And you know, meditation has been something that's been really important in my life. And I and I feel like especially in this really busy day and age when information is coming at us and advertisements and so many products out there, so many things to buy, so many so many choices. We have so many choices. Yeah. It's really important to take time to breathe and recharge and realize what things are really important because that is what helps me stay centered and make those good choices, make yeah. those alternative choices without just feeling like I just have to buy whatever is on the shelf right now. And in terms of steps that people can take, mm-hmm. I, I hesitate to tell people these are like three easy things you can do because what's easy for me might not be easy for somebody else. Yeah. The first three steps that I took were no more plastic bags, no more plastic bottles, mm-hmm. and no more disposable takeout, takeoutware. Yeah. Those were my three steps. Another thing that I highly recommend is for people to, to actually do a plastic audit collect your and in my and in my book I actually have a worksheet that people can fill out um, that asks you know what are the things that you collected this week and ask questions about them you know what's one thing you could substitute for something else what's something in your pile that you feel is really necessary for your life that you're not willing to get give up yet Mm -hmm. if a plastic free alternative doesn't exist because I don't want people to start with the hardest thing I want them to choose the low-hanging fruit and it just helps you analyze and get organized yeah yeah well thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today beth it has been a treat chatting with you this is this has been really fun thank you oh my gosh and we had some (laughs) surprises along the way i always love it when my guests surprise me (laughs) so how can our listeners number one get a hold of you and number Mm -hmm. two find your book so my book is distributed through all the normal book channels Mm -hmm. if you go to your local bookstore and they don't have it they can order it for you you can find it at many libraries you can get it online you know from amazon or Mm -hmm. whatever your book store of choice happens to be it's called plastic free how i kick the plastic habit and how you can too and if you want to get in touch with me you can go to the contact page on my website which is myplasticfreelife.com or i'm plastic free beth on twitter oh nice and or you can look up beth terry on facebook, facebook. also very good yeah well thank you so much and actually actually all the um all of my social media uh icons are at the top of my website so if you go there you can access everything perfect 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 well that's it for today thanks for joining us on the urban farm podcast did you know that according to the u.s food and drug administration two-thirds of all our fruits and veggies eaten in the united states come from outside the country and there are all kinds of problems with that For one, an apple that had to travel hundreds or even thousands of miles to get to your plate can't be all that fresh or nutritious. And I say that's just crazy, especially when we can grow so many different varieties in our own front and backyards. Jumping into growing your own food is actually quite simple. You just need to know the rules. 
My free webinar, Introduction to Urban Farming, begins to frame out your pathway to growing your own healthy food. In this free webinar, you'll learn the three simple steps to becoming an urban farmer, the five components of healthy soil, and how to think regeneratively, which is, by the way, one of the most important concepts we need to be exploring right now. Will you join me in this webinar and help co-create the food revolution? Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to urbanfarmu.org to sign up for your free webinar. That's GARDEN to 44222 or urbanfarmu.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.